This program is pre-recorded. Wake up, America! It's morning air with John Morales, Si sí, Señor, Sarah Tafoya, Merry Christmas, and Glenn Leverens. That's how I know. This is morning air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hi, this is John Morales for Glenn, Sarah, Gabby, and our entire team. Thanks for joining us for the best of morning air. Have a very blessed Christmas season and a happy new year. In November, we celebrate the lives of family and friends who have passed away and pray for their entry into the kingdom of heaven. Join your Relevant Radio family in prayer from November 2nd through the 10th as we offer a special novena for these holy souls in purgatory. You can submit up to 20 names of your departed loved ones at relevantradio.com souls from now until November 10th. When you submit the names of souls to be prayed for, you'll also receive reflections from our very own Father Rocky each day of the novena to help you enter more deeply into prayer. Now, once a soul is released from purgatory, he or she will intercede for you and me from heaven. Add the names of your loved ones at relevantradio.com souls and join us as we pray for them during daily mass at noon every day, uh, central time, the Divine Mercy at Chaplet in the afternoon with Drew Mary and of course, the family rosary across America with Father Rocky at 7 p.m. every night. Want to bring in our morning air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are uh, making headlines here on this Thursday morning? Well, it's been uh, most of the Biden administration, John, that we've uh, seen gas prices go up, up, and up. They've been down and up again a little bit, uh, but still uh, a lot higher than they were about a year and a half ago. President worried about that with the election, the midterm election coming up in a couple weeks here, and uh, he talked about that at the White House yesterday. The country's oil reserves being tapped once again to bring a bigger supply online and help to lower prices. Uh, the president says uh, production has ramped up, but many would like to see uh, production unleashed a little more in the U.S. Uh, as a way to, to bring down prices. What have you seen in terms of how uh, folks are responding to this news uh, from the president here with less than three weeks to go before the midterms? Well, it seems about anybody is happy if prices do come down, but uh, worried at uh, what greater cost if we're spending down our strategic petroleum reserve when war and disagreement is going on with some major oil-producing countries around the world. Absolutely. Um, meanwhile, uh, for uh, baseball fans, uh, yesterday, American League uh, Championship Series Game 1 in Houston last night. The Astros uh, beat the Yankees 4-2. to two. The Astros' Justin Verlander was absolutely dominant with 11 strikeouts. Game 2 is tonight. On the National League side in their uh, League Championship Series Game 1, uh, the Padres came back and beat the Phillies 8-5 to five to tie that series at uh, a game a piece actually that was game two. Uh, Manny Machado would go deep in that game as heard on Fox. Machado lifts the ball to left center field. Way back there. Goodbye. Home run, Manny Machado. 8-4 San Diego. Out of the one-two pitch. This series is tied in a game of peace. Phillies still game one, 2-0. The Padres bounce back in ridiculous fashion. Glenn, did you catch any of uh, those games? 
ridiculous fashion indeed. They uh, they poured it on that uh, one uh, half inning took about an hour, it seems. I think about 50 pitches or so were, were thrown when they got their five runs in there to, to take the lead. But they uh, they poured on the gas. They've got a lot of power, so that's going to be an interesting series. And then on the AL side, my goodness, uh, for Houston, Verlander uh, it tied or broke the postseason record uh, with Clayton Kershaw for most uh, postseason strikeouts by a pitcher. Uh, looking real tough for the Yankees there yesterday. I believe that he uh, did uh, break that record. Uh, so uh, two very exciting uh, series uh, for baseball fans here in October. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Turkey is on the minds of a lot of folks uh, at this time of year as we get ready for Thanksgiving, which is coming up really soon. I know you gotta, you know, get rid of all the Halloween candy out of the house and make room for the uh, Thanksgiving goodies there, right? And turkey, sadly, is 73% higher in price than it was a year ago. Just wondering if that would make you change your mind on the menu or if there are things other than turkey that you have or regularly enjoy instead of turkey on Thanksgiving. Yeah, no, turkey is one of those staples that I think most people in America, just from the sheer tradition alone, um, have trouble imagining uh, life without a turkey at Thanksgiving. But um, I've heard, Glenn, that you've done some interesting things at, at Thanksgiving with your meals. Yeah, one time we added to the turkey, had uh, some uh, salmon on the grill outside. That was really, really good. I love I love salmon, especially on the grill. So I enjoyed that almost more than the turkey. But that was, you know, not a, that's not a regular thing. And the one time we had these little Turkish game hens, right, which it was like everybody had their own mini turkey on their plate. But uh, they, were, they were pretty fussy, you know. And anything that takes away the time that you spend eating stuffing is not a good thing for me. <laughs> well, you know, the good thing about those little Cornish hens is you get a bunch of wishbones. So a lot of uh, uh-huh. a lot of wish-making uh, tradition can continue on that day. But you do have to find it without breaking it. That is always the trick. <laughs> I think for the folks uh, that uh, are blessed enough to be able to afford the 73% increase, I think turkey is the way to go, the traditional uh, meal. I, I can't imagine Thanksgiving without a turkey, but uh, obviously uh, there's some folks who are going to find it very tough to afford the turkey. Although you got to consider that it's just it's for one meal of, uh, of the year, one, one meal uh, on Thanksgiving, although a, a special meal. So maybe uh, a lot of people will still do whatever it takes to go and, and buy the big bird. Yeah, it's one very big meal. Uh, by the standards of America, we supersize that big meal, and it could be lunch, it could be mid-lunch, it can be dinner, it can be a lot of different times for the day. So, But yeah, let's, let's I guess, try. We'll see, because we'll see, sometimes they like to put out those special deals, so we'll have to keep our eye on those special deals coming up to Thanksgiving. I wonder if the stuffing is up, too. I don't care. Good I'm question. going for He's it. He's going for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, uh, Glenn and Sarah, as always. First things first, uh, we always begin every morning in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the playbook of life this morning is from Colossians 3.17. The Apostle St. Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. St. Paul reminds us that it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, doctor, mother, or even a major league baseball player playing in the playoffs. Whatever you do, if you do it for Jesus and for his glory, you're on the right track. In fact, there are Catholic baseball players who uh, play and compete for an audience of one. That is, they compete not just to impress the crowd in the ballpark or the audience on television, but they do it for the Lord. You too can sanctify your work, whatever you do, if you do it for the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we always pray with great confidence the prayer from the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. You can find us on Twitter, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And, of course, you can always shoot us an email, morningair at relevantradio.com. Our number, once again, if you want to be part of the program this morning for you early birds, 888 now, during Respect Life Month, we remember the dignity of human life from conception to natural death. We uh, have been uh, talking th- during this month about respecting the beginning of life many times on this show, but what about the end of life? Uh, it is a common human tendency to ignore our own mortality and pretend that death is something that is way out there, far away, uh, that we don't have to worry about it right now. But the reality is, for Christians, that death is not the end, but rather the beginning of a new resurrected life with Christ for all eternity. Joining us live this morning is Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air and Relevant Radio, to talk about what the Catholic Church teaches on the issue of euthanasia and natural death. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. Good morning, Monsignor Shea. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, It's great to be with you once again. Good morning, John. I'm happy to be with you, too, especially during this Respect Life month of October. Absolutely. And um, Monsignor, uh, there is so much uh, wisdom in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, which teaches that our fate after death ultimately hinges on the state of our souls when we die. Uh, Can you um, explain for us uh, this view of death, what the Church teaches, and how uh, it affects how we as Catholics uh, should make decisions regarding the care at the end of life? Right. So as in everything, John, the Catholic Church's teaching is based firmly upon principles which are revealed to us both by our faith and by natural reason. And we do live in an age in which there's a tremendous amount of confusion around questions of life. You and I have talked many times about the sanctity of unborn human life. But the respect that the Catholic Church demands in its teaching for human life, of course, extends beyond the womb to all of human life. And so there are principles, first of all, the principle that to make an attempt on the life or to ki- life of or to kill an innocent human person is an evil action. And so killing an innocent human person or attempting to kill an innocent human person is an evil action. That's one of the principles upon which the Catholic Church's teaching rests. Secondly, Every person is bound to live his or her life in accordance with God's plan, 
with an openness to his will. And as you said just a moment ago, looking forward to our life's fulfillment in heaven. And so then intentionally committing suicide or killing another person is a murder of oneself or that person and is considered a rejection of God's plan. And so these questions of euthanasia and assisted suicide, which have arisen so aggressively in our culture over the last decades, is of deep concern to the Catholic Church, partly because it arises out of a conception of the meaning of human life, which is antithetically opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the whole um, flourishing of the human person. In other words, it, it, it arises out of a fundamental rejection of God and the existence of God. If we deny that God exists, or if we bracket him and make God completely irrelevant to human life, then our life is our own. And if we conceive, if we conceive of our life as our own, there are all kinds of bad ideas and actions which, uh, which cascade out of that. Uh, the Catechism has uh, um, um, a lot to say about the issue of euthanasia uh, and even uh, of, uh, of suicide, uh, whether it's uh, assisted or uh, by one doing it themselves, in, uh, beginning in paragraphs uh, 22, 76, and on. Um, can you give us sort of a, a, a thumbnail uh, a summary of, of what the, the Church is, is trying to teach in this part of the Catechism? Well, as I was saying just before, uh, the Church wants to ground our understanding of our own lives and the lives of others in the existence of God, and that God has a providential plan for every human life. And so none of our lives, John, is an accident. I try and tell our students that all the time. You know, we're in the midst of homecoming week here at the University of Mary. We just had our annual day of service yesterday, so that the students spent all day long out in the community serving the community. And then at the end, we had the crowning of our homecoming king and queen. But I got up and I said, we have to remember that our life is not about us. It's not our life. It's not our life. It's a life that's meant to be lived in glory to God. And so God has created every human life with an intention, and none of us is an accident. And part of our work is to wrestle with God in the midst of our lives about the meaning of our lives. It's not meant to be simple or easy or automatic. Uh, God allows us to experience or even sometimes sends us difficulties or trials uh, which are meant to purify our hearts and our minds. Sometimes we find ourselves uh, sort of seized with a kind of sadness. Uh, sometimes we experience disappointment. Sometimes... Um, in the midst of our lives, we experience deep suffering, whether of body or of mind. And in the midst of that, we're meant to turn much, much more deeply uh, to the Lord and to entrust ourselves more deeply to him because our lives do not terminate with death, with natural death. Rather, they're meant to be a preparation for eternal life with God in heaven, which is what we've been talking about. And so when we have a, a, a sort of vision of human life, which rejects fundamentally and out of hand the existence of God, or which simply brackets him, what happens is if, if our life, if, if there is no God, then our life is our own. And if our life becomes burdensome to us, then we can simply snuff it out. That should be our right. That's how, that's how the sort of secular uh, godless mindset approaches this question. Likewise, if there's a life that's inconvenient to us, whether it's an unborn uh, child or whether it's an elderly relative, uh, then for us to have to endure 
that inconvenience upon our autonomy and individuality is unbearable and we should be able to snuff those lives out as well. And that's a very brutal kind of uh, sort of understanding of the world. St. John Paul II, who we both love John, commented deeply on this when he noted that the whole phrase mercy killing, which has been used around this issue, that euthanasia is mercy killing, is a distorted or a perverted version of mercy. Mercy in its true form is God's love his kindness, his affection, his assistance, his help, his deep love poured, about, poured out upon the misery of human life so that he can bring us unto himself. And Monsignor Shea, um, the words of uh, uh, St. John Paul II on mercy killing uh, remind us that people sometimes are quite misguided. They really do think that they're uh, doing uh, something out of mercy, as sort of like much similar to the way that you would take your, you know, your pet, your dog uh, to the vet when they're suffering. And they don't see the difference between the dignity of human life and the way we treat animals. Well, and this is this is sort of the assistance that our Catholic faith gives us in thinking about these tricky moral questions. We believe that we have different powers of the soul, the intellect or the mind, which helps us to know truth, the will, which helps us to choose, the emotions, which are sort of the gas tank of the, of the human person and give us energy um, and uh, affect our actions. But we have to keep all of those things in the proper order. And so... Uh, when we allow our emotions, when we allow sentiment to become inflamed and rise up and overthrow what we know to be right and what we know that we should choose, when our intellect and our will, our mind and our power of choice become deeply influenced simply by sort of emotionalist or sentimentalist notions, uh, then we can find ourselves deeply attracted to things which in the end will lead to the pathway of destruction, both for ourselves and our own good and for that of all those around us. And so, yes, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a common thing. And again, at places like the University of Mary, we're always trying to think, how can we assist our students to think about their lives, not in a sentimentalist or emotionalist way, but deeply grounded in right reason and in truth these are important things, especially when you're young and you're subject to sort of a lot of emotional intensity and drama. It's important to keep yourself well grounded in your mind, in your heart, so that you can know the truth and choose the truth. And the Catholic faith assists us beautifully to do that, especially when we're seized by a kind of moral confusion, either because of the circumstances of our life, we or someone we love is facing something difficult or by the ambient culture all around us which is constantly telling us there is no invisible world god either doesn't exist or he doesn't matter live for yourself seize the day etc etc and so what's important for us for me as an educator for you as uh, somebody who's in the ministry of catholic radio for anybody who's trying to preach the gospel, John, what's so important is that we stay grounded in the lasting truths of our faith. And you're right that the catechism and the teaching of, of the popes, like Pope St. John Paul II in the gospel of life, help us so beautifully to stay grounded 
and to stay true to those things which in the end lead not just to our temporal happiness in this world, but to happiness with God forever in heaven. Um, Monsignor Sheikh, can you clarify uh, what the Catholic Church teaches when it comes uh, to using uh, every possible means to to keep someone alive? You know, you hear the terms sure. persistent vegetative state. It reminds me of uh, the situation back in 2005 with Terry Scheibel. What does the, the Church teach? Sure, very simply. We only just have a moment, I think, but because it's a complicated issue. But very simply, the church teaches that there are ordinary means of keeping a person alive, and that would be like nutrition and hydration, so water and food. And then there are extraordinary means of keeping a person alive, which depend on various circumstances, but would include things like breathing with the assistance of a ventilator. And there's, and, and there's always an obligation, except at the very, very end of life when it might actually um, uh, uh, cause great pain, to provide nutrition and hydration. In general, providing nutrition and hydration is morally necessary, but extraordinary means, while allowed, are not morally necessary or prescribed. There's a lot more nuance in that, John, and I'd like to speak with you or like somebody like our friend Father Tad Paholchik, who's a genius on these matters, uh, who could make more clear nuances and clarifications. But in a nutshell, that's it, that we're not obliged under every circumstances, to un, every other, in every measure, to preserve human life. Well, Monsignor Shea, I, I so much appreciate you taking this uh, complicated uh, issue and really kind of making it uh, uh, understandable uh, for our listeners. Uh, it is something that we definitely need to keep in mind here uh, during Respect Life Month. Uh, and uh, I, I thank you uh, for taking the time to be with us. Oh, you got it, John. It's so important because when we're talking about respect for life, we are talking about a holistic vision. And the Catholic Church has a very intricate beautiful and clear approach to these questions, and we can count on our faith to be a true God in this regard. Amen. Thanks so much. Uh, Monsignor James Shea, the president of University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Laura Vanderkar, the co-founder of Northwest Families for Life, will join us to talk about the recent 10th annual March for Life in Palatine, Illinois, and suburban Chicago, and some of the different ways that uh, we can uh, do different things here uh, as uh, we continue with Respect Life Month. So stay with us on this Thursday as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hi, this is John Morales for Glenn, Sarah, Gabby, and our entire team. Thanks for joining us for the best of morning air. Have a very blessed Christmas season and a happy new year. John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Levitt. 
Welcome back to Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Paul of the Cross. We're going to talk about the founder of the Passionists coming up next hour with our very own Father James Kabicki at 7.30 Central. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, here in the month of October, we've been celebrating Respect Life Month in the U.S. In fact, for the first time since the overturning of Roe v. Wade in June, there is no time like now to come together as the body of Christ, as people of life, to get informed energize and stand side by side, witnessing to the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. There's been pro-life events going on across our nation during this month of October, including the 10th annual March for Life uh, Palatine in suburban Chicago, which took part um, this year on October the 8th, a few weeks ago. Now, joining us live is one of the organizers of the event, uh, Laura Vanderkar, the co-founder of North Northwest Families for Life. Good morning, Laura. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. It's great to be with you once again, especially here uh, during Respect Life Month. Yeah. Hi. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me on. Always nice to talk to you. It is a joy to be with you once again. You uh, have uh, been added defending life for for such a long time. Uh, you you've organized uh, your annual uh, Northwest Families uh, March for Life uh, in Palatine now for ten years. Tell us about this year's event, uh, which was the first one uh, since Rove was overturned. That's right. That's right. So it was a very exciting time for us, for sure. And uh, we had over 400 people from all faiths joining us um, at St. Teresa Church. And um, our, our marches operate in basically three different sections where we gather together to uh, equip ourselves, be informed, and just listen to some speakers with some great information. Um, and then we head out to the street to stand witness. And then we return because, you know, we need that time for fellowship and, and to connect with each other. And to we also had some tables at the back, um, display tables from different organizations so that, um, you know, people could grab information and, and go on and go out and take out the, the pro-life message to the world. Um, so we had some speakers from Rahab's Daughters and uh, Sarah Mahalik from Students for Life. And I, I shared my own story of choosing life as well with the help of a pregnancy resource center. And that, uh, was, that was a special time for me. <laughs> did you sense, uh, Laura, um, uh, a little different feeling this time around, uh, any different from previous years, knowing uh, that, that this battle for life has just begun here at the state level now uh, with Roe overturned? Yeah, I, I, you know, I would say that uh, pro-life people are very joyful people, you know, we, we are hard workers and we know the task that is set in front of us and we are very steadfast in our work, um, that, that you can count on, you know, um, but I will say that, uh, the other side, the side of, um, you know, Satan, who's, uh, just spewing the lies, um, about life and, and the help that's out there, uh, that's intensified, you know? I, I feel like that is something that we have to, uh, you know, just protect ourselves um, by just, you know, being smart about our prayer vigils now 
and um, definitely, you know, call on uh, authorities if, if we need police to intervene. Uh, we did have some town protesters this March, and uh, they were loud. So, but not many. We outnumbered them very many. <laughs> we were, we were, you know, four hundred to their forty. So, I, I think, I think we did good. <laughs> yeah, uh, th- thank goodness uh, that that nothing happened at, at your march. But the reality is that a lot has been happening across our country. There has been, uh, according to LifeNews.com, over hundred and sixty attacks on churches and pregnancy centers. And uh, uh, sadly, uh, the FBI hasn't arrested not a single person uh, for a pro-life veteran like you uh, uh, what does that make you feel like well you know it's it, it's unfair but this, this world is unfair um this isn't our home um we know our job you know jesus is the embodiment of love you know and he came with the message of love and look they crucified him so uh, he, he you know we've, we've been warned about this i guess we've been warned we've we've got the uh We've got the equipment from from God uh, in the Eucharist, and uh, so we head out there each week uh, to stand vigil at uh, the abortion facilities out there and and stand witness strongly, you know, boldly. That's what we're called to do. Be not afraid. Right, John? And uh, you have been living that motto for a long time now. Uh, I believe you started way back in in 2010 with uh, Northwest Families for Life, uh, along with your sister, uh, Maria. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the inspiration to to start your organization back then. Oh, that is a fun story. So, (laughs) so I, you know, I've been pro-life since I, you know, found a, a brochure in uh, the pew at my church um, growing up and, you know, talked to my parents about it. Um, and I think that's, that's an important beginning step is having those foundational conversations uh, with parents within the family. You know, that educational piece where parents are not afraid to discuss what is going on in society and how do we put themselves, um, you know, equipping your children with the information. Uh, so that that you know the secular world doesn't fill their minds with the the lies, you know. So what happened was I you know got older and and had children of my own and decided that you know what I needed to do something pro life. And so I I was um, I was raising money for a crisis pregnancy center that's what we called them back then now it's pregnancy resource center. Um, and I said Maria, we got to do something more. What more could we possibly do? I had no idea at the time that people were actually standing vigil and praying outside of uh, abortion facilities. I had no idea that that is something you could do. That you could stand on the sidewalk and provide information to abortion-bound women. So she said, you know, I heard about 40 Days for Life in Rockford. Let's, let's try this. And so we went out there. We prayed out there. And that was pretty easy. We could do this. <laughs> and at the time, that, that abortion facility was just one of the worst. It was, it was horrific. That one shut down. Um, and heads up to the listeners, yes, they are trying to put more abortion facilities in Rockford. So there's a uh, Rockford initiative um, to try to prevent that. So you can get involved in that. But um, so we said we could do, we did that. We did that vigil for 40 Days for Life. That uh, turned out rather well, we thought. So we said, hey, we could do that here near us. 
so we, I literally did a, a little yellow page of search back then, yellow page it. <laughs> I looked at my book and I we found somewhere, a uh, place on uh, Arlington Heights Road at the time there was an office that was kind of flying under the radar. And so we decided to stand outside that facility uh, on Arlington Heights Road in Arlington Heights and it gathered a lot of attention and more people joined us and uh, we said you know what we should probably be a little bit more organized about this and so we founded Northwest Sandwich for Life with the help of the Pro-Life Action League so that was an exciting time for us for sure. And, and, the re- and the rest is history, and you, you've been and doing this now for, for, for 12 years. Um, do you feel like your focus, uh, you, the mission of Northwest Families for Life, um, has changed uh, uh, perhaps a little bit uh, since uh, Roe v. Wade has been overturned? Well, since Roe v. Wade's been overturned, I, I don't find that our our mission in particular has changed. I do feel that education uh, needs to be a bigger piece. Uh, there are so many people out there that maybe don't know what resources are available. You know, well-meaning individuals that just they feel ill-equipped to you know bring the pro-life message out there. And so um, Maria is a technology wizard, and she put together a website. Um, this is in conjunction with an initiative from the USCCB called. Walking with Moms in Need. So Walking with Moms in Need is an uh, initiative to uh, gather resources, not just pregnancy resources, but housing, food, mental health resources, domestic abuse rescue, substance abuse help for, for moms, for women. And um, their, their, hope, their hope is that every church will have uh, these resources available so that if anyone comes to any parishioner within that area, they will know where to point these women to so that they can have access to these resources. So Maria put together this website, walkingwithmoms.weebly.com, and it's fantastic. It's got buttons to click on and tabs. and yeah, So anyone can go there. I highly recommend that anyone listening goes to that website so that they can see it and and see for themselves what is available for women. So, I mean, life issues, yes, we're very focused on, um, you know, helping women with pregnancies that are unplanned. However, you know, life encompasses so many more, so many more things outside of, you know, just having the baby, you know, continuing to care for the child, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the things that you've been doing uh, for all these years is uh, working as a sidewalk counselor. In fact, also Mm -hmm. training others to learn how to do it. Can you share briefly uh, about that experience? Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. And, you know, it's kind of funny because with the the COVID pandemic week, we've had to adjust. You know, we've um, done our sidewalk training, uh, usually just, you know, a, a church or a group of pro-life people from who you want to be trained. And we then put together a seminar for them at their, their church. And we come out and we, we, we will do, um, you know, like a full morning of training 
Um, Sidewalk Advocates for Life is the organization that we partner with on that because they have such a great training manual. Um, and so we'll, we'll go out there and we'll definitely run through um, all the basics of uh, sidewalk counseling. In addition, you know, we'll do some practice with them because sometimes when you're out there, you just can't predict some of the uh, conversations that might come up, the situations that might arise. And so you want to be equipped for all of those. And sometimes you're not even talking to necessarily an abortion-bound woman, but a passerby, um, you know, somebody that's been walking by and sees you, or somebody driving by that pulls in and says, hey, I see you standing here. What are you doing? And so, you know, you want to know how to respond in love. Um, one of um one of the things that happened uh, fairly recently was, you know, we, we had uh, somebody pull into the parking lot over in Wooddale and, uh, you know, standing vigil. And uh, our sidewalk team there is, is wonderful. They are very strong and very loving and very compassionate because this poor woman had had an abortion years ago. And so she was in a very defensive place. And um, we were able to talk to her and share with her that there is um, hope and healing through Project Rachel, which is another uh, organization that seeks to help women that are, you know, suffering from the effects of an abortion. And, and that's, you know, that's what goes straight to my heart because, you know, that's lasting. And so we were able to reach her with that information. And, and literally she was, she was so grateful in tears. So she came in kind of angry and then left, just hopeful, joyful, and, and, you know, we feel like we made such a good connection with her there. So we're just so appreciative. Well, Laura, I know you've had many, many experiences uh, of seeing women that have chosen life. Uh, we want to chat with, about that and also practical things that any of us can do here uh, the rest of the way here in this uh, month of October, uh, Respect at Life Month. I want to bring in our listeners. If you're passionate uh, about uh, life, uh, share with us what you're doing uh, during Respect Life Month. If you've participated uh, in sidewalk counseling uh, or you've prayed outside of an abortion clinic, we'd love Love to hear from you, and maybe you can uh, help to inspire others to do the same. So if you have a comment or question for Laura Vanderkar, co-founder of Northwest Families for Life, we're taking your calls, 888 914 888-914-9149. We're going to take a, a short break. We'll continue our conversation with Laura. Stay with us. Oh, yeah. I'm Hi, this is John Morales for Glenn, Sarah, Gabby, and our entire team. Thanks for joining us for the best of morning air. Have a very blessed Christmas season and a happy new year. Welcome back to Morning Air here on Relevant Radio on the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning as we continue our conversation with 
Laura Vandercar, the co-founder of Northwest Families for Life. She's a, a pro-life a warrior and telling us about the most recent uh, March for Life in Palatine, Illinois, in suburban Chicago, and how it was a, a little different than in years past, and also uh, some of the things that we can do here in this month of October uh, during Respect Life Month. Uh, Laura, uh, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be back. Um, I wanted to uh, real quickly uh, chat with you about uh, what you've seen with your own eyes, the effects of uh, sidewalk counseling, uh, talking to women who have actually changed their minds about abortion outside of these clinics. I I know you have witnessed uh, perhaps hundreds of women over the years that have chosen life. Yeah, you know, it is interesting out there because uh, I, I would say that, you know, when women choose life, they it's a burden that has actually been lifted off of them they they are so joyful uh they might be a little scared but you know they they look at you and say i can do this oh my goodness i can do this so uh, you know this is this is a burden that they've been lifted from because i think every woman in her heart she knows what an abortion does and you know that is a wound that lasts forever and you know having that knowledge that you know you actually you know chose that your child you know would be just destroyed in such a violent way is a hard thing for any woman to carry and so um you know when she chooses life you know it just flips to this joyful place and um you know we're we're thrilled to partner with the pregnancy resource centers i mean those are those are the heroes that you know they we we just try to connect them you know i mean we're we're there standing in the gap that's that's my job as a pro-life warrior. I stand in the gap. I am that last visible sign um, that a woman has, that somebody cares, that somebody is out there offering hope and help and love unconditionally for them so that we can connect them with the resources that we need and, and so that, you know, the true heroes, the pregnancy resource centers, they, they take over and they, they do the heavy lifting for us, really. You know, they, they, they walk them through their journey. And, and it is a journey, you know, trying to figure out if they need a place to live. And, and we're so blessed to have so many maternity homes out there like Heather's house. So and Monica's. So um, you know they're out there. They're out there. Just it's it's a matter of getting this information to the women. So, Laura, is is there one um, save as as you guys uh, sometimes refer to them uh, of a, a situation of a, a a woman who it was almost a miracle that she chose life when everything pointed that she was going to have an abortion. Um, you know. What comes to mind is not a save that I had in particular, but Maria, I mean, she fought for a save, um, and this this particular woman was married, yet having hard times with her husband, and she found herself pregnant, and she thought, oh, I cannot bring a baby into this particular um situation you know she thought i can't have another baby with this husband of mine and 
it has such a beautiful ending because Maria just kept reaching out to her and she was so conflicted because she had had or she already had um, another child and so she knows the joys of life and that's the thing that we you know it, it's always shocking to me you know how a woman can have children and still go for an abortion they're in a desperate place and this woman was in such a desperate place desperate people do desperate things and so Maria continued to bravely call out to this woman and have conversation with her and um, she then you know was in and out of the clinic and in and out of the clinic and there they even will send um, a nurse sometimes out to the parking lot to gather the woman back in I mean it's kind of like horrifying the strong arming that happens um, with clinic escorts and and you know other employees from the clinic the how they'll you know they want their money and you know they'll do what they what they need to to try to bring that woman back in but Maria kept pulling her back out basically, your sister is so persistent messages. yeah sure yeah I've seen yeah. her in action in fact I was with her one time I remember uh, when she actually convinced uh, another uh, woman uh, to save uh, her baby to not go through with the abortion and uh, there was such joy uh, and jubilation that she had uh, decided exactly. to say uh, yes to life you know uh, a caller I just called a moment ago uh, but couldn't mm-hmm. stay on the line might be in her car wanted to know how do you get a picture of a sonogram uh, to stand outside of an abortion clinic? Oh, um, you know, honestly, we do not have one of those pictures out there because um, people driving by, they misunderstand what is that a picture of. But if you want to get a picture, um, I'll bet you there are plenty of moms out there that could send um, their own, you know, to you, because it is such a great thing, you know, when you do have a baby that you save those. So you might be able to get one that way or find it on, um, you know, there's uh, websites that do have those images. Um, or contact, maybe you can contact an OB-GYN that's pro-life and, and, and get one that way, because there is an organization of pro-life OB-GYNs, the AAPLOG.org. So, you know, you can find one. They're out there. <laughs> Laura, earlier we were talking about your initiative of, of walking with moms in need. Uh, Sandy is joining us from uh, Florida. Good morning, uh, Sandy. Uh, you're on with uh, Laura Vandercar. Good morning, and thank you for covering such an important topic. Um, many people don't realize just the need and that we're all accused of that we only care about having live babies and that we don't care about them after they're born and nothing could be further from the truth. Our diocese has embraced walking with moms and my parish has as well. And we're still in the infant steps with this, but um, everybody can do something, whether you're a sidewalk counselor or you're somebody who's a thrift store shopper like I, who can buy children's clothing and give it to the crisis pregnancy centers, but communicate with them and see what they need so that you don't overload them with sizes that they don't need. But it's so rewarding to know that you're helping life. Thanks so much, Sandy. Uh, Laura, your thoughts? Yes, absolutely. Um, By the way, we have a uh, 49-plus ways to be pro-life um, sheet that you can print out from our website that has literally 49 ways on it to be pro-life. And among them is, of course, attend pro-life events and stay educated, hosting pro-life movie nights at your church or home, 
starting a pro-life book club, and like Sandy was saying, support your pregnancy resource centers financially or by donating goods or even by volunteering. So there's, there, it's on our website. Our website is northwestfamiliesforlife.weebly.com. Download it and print it out and widely distribute. <laughs> it is a fantastic resource. I'm so glad you brought it up uh, because we, we're running out of time. But uh, uh, there are so many things that, that uh, one can do, um, so many ideas of how you can be pro-life. Uh, I know you do Jericho marches. What, what are those about? The Jericho March is a prayer service that we do, and we uh, pray and walk around a particular clinic, and we have seen great results from that. So, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Forest View shut down that way. Um, that was another abortion clinic in Des Plaines, and another, uh, actually two, in Des Plaines shut down that way. Um, I do want to encourage listeners to vote pro-life, educate yourself on all the candidates, and and uh, you can go to Illinois Right to Life Action or Illinois Family Institute to learn more about that. And obviously, uh, in the different states, uh, there are resources uh, as well. Uh, Laura, thanks so much for being with us. So much appreciate uh, what you do to defend to life, to promote life. Uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Laura Vandercar, co-founder of Northwest Families for Life. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Love Your Photographer. It's from Sarah Hill Photography and Love What Matters. As we approach engagement season, allow me to give you a crucial word of advice. Make sure to love your photographer. I'm not talking about loving their work. I'm talking about loving their personality. On your wedding day, your photographer will be there with you more than your maid of honor, more than your mama, even more than your groom. They're with you in the hectic parts of the day when they have to tell the girls to chill because they see the look on your face. They're with you when no one else is sure how to button the dress. They might even smooth your spanks down. When you can't find where you laid your flowers or what you need to do next, they're there. They dictate most of your day, and their actions play a huge role in how that day goes. They make sure the groomsmen behave and tell them not to take that last shot before the ceremony, to hype them up and let them forget there's a camera on their face and that taking pictures isn't that bad. They're also with you in the quiet moments, when you're alone and about to walk down the aisle to a new life, to hand you a tissue before you have time to ask, to give you that reassuring look that you've got this, a camera in one hand and your veil in the other. Most of the time you'll end up with beautiful wedding photos regardless, but take my advice, love your photographer. In Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. As always, Glenn, uh, thanks so much uh, for another inspirational Story Corner. Uh, and you can always uh, listen to any of Glenn's Story Corners uh, at our uh, um, site uh, for Morning Air here on the Relevant Radio app and the Relevant Radio website. Coming up next hour here on Morning Air, former Planned Parenthood director and now pro-life leader Myra Rodriguez will be with us to talk about how uh, Planned Parenthood pushes puberty blockers and chemical abortion pills for children, if you can believe it. And our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will discuss the life of St. Paul of the Cross, the founder of The Passionist. So stay with us. There's much more to come here on this Thursday in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.